We want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations, with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. 1 Samuel 8, verse 19 and 20. Welcome to Canaanbound Podcast, a podcast designed to offer the Christian rest during life's journey. Canaanbound Podcast features devotional segments by pastors serving in the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod, along with church history, mission news, and music by various Christian artists who support our teaching. I'm Philip Wells, and this is episode 132. We begin our time together this week with a lesson from the Kings with Pastor Tom Barthel. People get frustrated during election season. The typical campaign will offer grand promises to fix every problem. No candidate ever says they'll just try their best. They all say, I can fix everything for you. We all know they can't, but we want to believe that there must be someone who can. So we vote and choose accordingly. The ancient Israelites wanted to believe there must be someone who could fix all their problems. We read in 1 Samuel 8, 18-22, that they thought a, a new king would do it all. But like so many of us in an election year, their hopes were short-sighted. Our Lord warns in Isaiah 55 and John chapter 6, Don't labor for bread that won't last. What he warns against is our propensity look to look for a quick fix that's not centered on God. Especially if that quick fix is centered on something entirely apart from God. Psalm 146 has an important reminder. Do not trust in human helpers, in mortal man who cannot save you. But it's easy to misplace our hopes. This new boyfriend will fix all my issues, a single mother tells herself. But she continues to turn a deaf ear to Jesus. She'll grieve when she realizes this new boyfriend is just as sinful and selfish as the last. He lies, cheats, and doesn't really love her or care about her problems. The boyfriend couldn't fix anything. This new exercise equipment will help me get healthy again, says the man who struggles with more than an unhealthy body and has an unhealthy soul. He'll be crushed when he realizes that his stair climber is an endless chase for a healthy body. He will age, grow weak, and die. The stair climber couldn't fix anything. Whether it's a person, it's a job, a home, a politician, or a new purchase, many promises are made and many hopes are centered on them. So, we vote or choose accordingly. If we don't take care, we also misplace our hopes. There's one man who we can put our hope in who never fails. He's more than a mortal man. He's the very Son of God. He does love that single mother and truly does care for her. He will never lie to her and never leave her. He does care for the body of that man, hoping to fix his unhealthy body. He has purchased it from the grave and will restore him to a new glorified body. Jesus does fix every problem. To look elsewhere is to put all your eggs in the wrong basket. Don't fall into the hype of a quick fix. Take refuge in your King who provides an everlasting solution. Jesus, our King, 
promises what no man can. I can, and I will fix everything for you. And now, Chris Dreisbach's Take the World But Give Me Jesus. Take the world, but give me Jesus. All its joys are but a name. But his love abides forever. Through eternal years the same. Oh, the height and depth of mercy. Oh, the length and breadth of love Oh the fullness of redemption Pledge of endless life above Take the world but give me Jesus Sweetest comfort of my soul With my Savior watching o'er me I can sing though billows roll Oh the height and depth of mercy Oh the length and breadth of love Oh the fullness of redemption Pledge of endless life above Give me Jesus, let me view his constant smile. Then throughout my pilgrim journey, light will cheer me all the while. Oh, the height and depth of mercy, oh, the length and breadth of love. Oh, the fullness of redemption, pledge of endless life above. Take the world, but give me Jesus. In his cross, my trust will be, till with clearer, brighter vision, Face to face, my Lord, I see Oh, the height and depth of mercy Oh, the length and breadth of love Oh, the fullness of redemption Pledge of endless life above Next up, we join Pastor Timothy Smith with God's Word for You. God's Word for You, Job 41, verses 1 to 4. This is God speaking from the storm. Can you pull in Leviathan with a fish hook or tie down its tongue with a rope? Can you put a cord through its nose or pierce its jaw with a hook? Will it keep begging you for mercy? Will it speak to you with gentle words? Will it make an agreement with you? For you to take it as your slave for life? Well, it isn't obvious 
at first who or what Leviathan is. Would that have been true for Job, though? Just because we don't know what it is, did Job know? Should we assume that Job would have known what creature God was talking about? Just as he did earlier when God spoke about the ostrich or the eagle. Now, a similar word to Leviathan, which would be pronounced Lotan, occurs in Ugaritic mythology. Ugarit was north of Canaan. But the twisting seven-headed Lotan doesn't seem to be the same creature. Uh, this is what the, the people of Ugarit wrote about Lotan. When you smote Lotan, the fleeting serpent, uh, annihilated the torturous serpent, the tyrant with seven heads, and so forth. That doesn't seem to be the same animal. Leviathan occurs five times in the Bible. Three of these are outside of the book of Job. Psalm 74, written by Asaph, seems to refer to the Ugaritic myth when it says, it was you who crushed the heads of Leviathan, plural, and gave him as food to the creatures of the desert. Now, there's no reason to think that the appearance of a mythical creature in the Bible in one place means that Asaph, the author of 74, believed that the myth was true. We use the language of mythology when we talk about being between a rock and a hard place or being on the horns of a dilemma, although we know that these sayings refer to the mythical Scylla and Charybdis, which are legendary and don't really exist any place. The Hebrew word Leviathan seems to come from a root word meaning to bend or to twist. Now, although a crocodile might be meant there, that description goes beyond that of an actual crocodile or alligator and into more of a symbol of evil in the universe. We can't help but notice that in the New Testament, John refers to two wicked creatures, the beast and the dragon, which appear to be a lot like Job's behemoth, literally beast, and Leviathan, which in Greek is the word draconis or dragon. Now let's keep these other references in mind as we explore what God is saying about Leviathan to Job. Would you try to catch the monster Leviathan with a fish hook? Would you go fishing for the devil? Will you keep him in the back field with a ring through his nose like your grandfather's prize bull? Will you beg the devil for mercy? Will evil be gentle with you? Will you make a bargain with the devil and agree to become his slave? Be careful with your faith. We get angry with the world and angry with sinfulness and angry that our plans fall through. Are we angry with God, though? If we're angry with God, who will we turn to instead? Who is really looking after us? If we listen to the hissing lies of the devil, we will be tempted to lay our troubles at God's door instead of laying our sins down at the foot of the cross. Let's read something John said. The great dragon was hurled down. This is from Revelation 12. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. Our Savior reigns, and we praise him forever. In Christ, I'm Pastor Tim Smith. This is God's word for you. And now we have a message from First Peter by Pastor Mark Falk, read by Philip Wells. First Peter, chapter 2, verse 17. Respect, honor, love. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the King. NIV 1984
It was just a little bit ago that we saw how the Brits do a wedding the only way they can do. There was a different flavor to it, something un-American about it, and yet we are enthralled, maybe even envious. By no means do I wish to portray Great Britain and the royal family beyond what truth can say. There is plenty of room to criticize royal behavior. They're made of the same stuff we are. But you had better be a, a Brit to do it. They are notoriously sensitive to criticism from the outside, say, from the colonies. One thing we must like is the aura of respect and honor. Now to be fair, take a moment to observe the raucous Prime Minister's questions on PBS, and you will see what seems to be very unbritten Britain. But isn't this the way it ought to be? This respect we sometimes, for a moment, see on that island across the sea. For a moment, everyone takes a step back from the constant carping that characterizes the press and the people of this age. We do not seem to stand in awe of people in power. We are their equals. We have a right to our opinion. A free press is vital to a free people, etc., etc. But look at the words of Peter in a much rougher age in a time when the people to whom he writes may expect the confiscation of their property, or worse. Peter commands respect and honor, not just for those who rule, but for all. In fact, the NIV takes one word here and translates it two different ways. There may be a reason for this, or not. Honor is the fundamental meaning. Respect is certainly close to that. How hard it is for us sinners, even Christians, to show proper respect, to honor. Especially in a land that elects its leaders, and where we can vote the bums out of office. Next year, respect is in short supply. And it is not just in the political realm. Respect is in short supply in business, in the workplace, in the family, on the highway even in the church. It is a balancing act, truth be known, to show respect and still speak truths that no one really wants to hear. How you call a friend or a neighbor or a family member back from sin and unbelief without raising some heckles. In other places, we are urged to do this hard, even dirty, work gently, for we may be caught in a sin soon enough ourselves. But emotions often rise. Respect and honor can be hard to find. Respect or honor everyone. I remember a colleague telling me that respect must be earned. There is a grain of truth in that, but if we teach our children that, how many teachers do you suppose will earn their respect? In the end, doesn't my colleague's thought turn the fourth commandment upside down? Now, I don't know how far to stretch the word everyone. But on the face of it, the word is quite clear, and we, quite clearly, often fall short. I am striving to be more respectful in my dealings with everyone, but some people stretch me pretty hard. And sometimes I must still say some things very directly that will not please those I preach to or counsel. Truth and respect almost seem at odds. But love leads us to speak hard truths as respectfully as we can.
Peter wrote these words under the influence of the Holy Spirit. We may rightly assume that the Apostle himself, a man of passion and boldness, fell short. Once again, we poor sinners are driven to the cross. Some of us are very respectful, so respectful, we simply will not risk family or friendship by telling the truth that needs to be told. Some of us tell the truth, but respect gets lost in the heat of the conversation. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This respect thing is not likely to get easier. Like Peter's first century readers, we are in an age that respects our Savior and our faith less and less. Many are prone to mock us. If they could do more than that, I fear they would. But we are children of God. These words about honoring all lead us to see where we have failed. Jesus did not fail. To the end, he spoke the truth, but he showed respect to the Roman Empire and its governor, Pontius Pilate. He showed respect to the evil men of the Jewish Sanhedrin. Then he died for them, for Peter, and for us. He honored them with his holy blood. Our flawed sense of honor has been covered with that blood. We live on to honor all people as his children. We end our time together this week with Cross to Glory's song, You Alone. Works not mine, O Christ. Bring joy to this heart. They tell me all is done. Righteousness, O oh Christ, it 
covers me No other righteousness Set sinners free You have been listening to episode 132 of Canabao Podcast. This podcast was first shared in August of 2018. You can visit CanaboundPodcast.com to find old shows and links to the artists and contributors to this podcast. We'd like to thank Chris Treisbach and Cross to Glory for allowing us to share their music with you this week. We encourage you to visit wells.net to find a Wells ministry location near you. Thank you for listening.